Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 78. Here with Brad. I'm Dan. I feel like I should introduce us occasionally. Mm. I don't know. We, maybe people can read. The lineup, the matter. lineup has not changed, everyone. There, there was a moment there where I was going to get replaced, but I'm still here. I'm still kicking. Yeah, we were considering some kind of stuffed animal taking Brad's spot. We thought the commentary might be a little more lively. I've got a lot of stuffed animals <laughs> in this room. I can go grab one if you want. We can make that happen. I can go take a nap. The Olympics are, uh, are big in the news right now, and... For obvious reasons, whenever the Olympics happen, it's a big deal, right? We get we the Olympics come along, everybody gets excited. Everyone has always wanted to know who the best at something is. Now, oddly, as time has gone on, we've subdivided athletic skill into smaller and smaller niches, and so to some degree, it's not that relevant. <laughs> all of them are incredible athletes. Well, not all of them because some of the niches are really weird, but. All of them are incredible what they do, whether or not that reflects athletic talent. Um, and uh, <laughs> anyway, the political aspect of this is that this is all happening in China. And that because there is a national focus on the, because they represent nations, the athletes are inevitably caught up in politics. <laughs> The Olympics and are surprisingly political. They are. They are. Of course, there's always the like the side things, right? Like who's sitting by who or who talks to who or did so-and-so come or were this country that's out of favor? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are they, you know, what are their athletes here and, and those kind of things. But beyond that, among the, the power players, which for whatever reason people have – it was clear why before. It used to be Russia and the U.S. and now it's kind of uh, the U.S. and China. These are the, the rivalries, mm-hmm, I guess, mm-hmm. is the right way to think of it. Every good sports story needs a rivalry. It used to be us and Russia in the Cold War. It still is a little bit, but mostly now it's us and China. It's, uh, it's the U.S. and whoever thinks they're going to be the next big thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whoever wants to show they're better than the U.S. And the rivalry between the U.S. and, and Russia has a lot of parallels to what's happening right now. Of course, it's also combined with the fact that there's COVID restrictions and the athletes are in a kind of closed-loop lockdown in China. I've heard stories, and I, these are unconfirmed, but uh, reporters of repute have stated them. Um, I just haven't found them in print. haven't looked long enough to see them in print. Uh, that some athletes are getting the same meal every meal every day because there's just been fumbling of menu stuff. They're a significant portion of athletes are not able to practice their sport. Yeah, they're not, not giving, able to engage not in giving adequate practice area. Yes, uh, because, in part because of the closed loop and, and uh, the area they're in. That's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. That, that one, I mean, eating the same meal isn't great. Having your, having your nutrition and you're an athlete at the highest level uh, is not ideal. But not being able to play 
to do what you do for several days, well, you want to go especially into considering how long the Olympics run for. You know, they could be there for a long period of time before yes. they compete in their sport. Yeah, that's right. And so, if yeah, you're there, events are late. If so, mm-hmm. if you're there for two weeks and not able to do anything associated with your sport, and all you can do is pump weights, that puts you at a severe disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, there's there are problems with the facilities. There are problems with the nutrition. There's problems with the uh, uh, what they're being shown. Um, and it's it's interesting what to they're being shown. What they're being shown. Sorry, what they see, <laughs> unrelated to the sport. This closed loop is uh, meant to put China to make China look good. Right. One of the the reason you host the Olympics is because everybody gets to look at you. And see your greatness. It's an opportunity it's a big for a nation to flex. Stunt, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so China is trying to flex, and it's not going well. Uh, it's going really, really poorly for those reasons I mentioned. Um, but also, uh, people have described the area around this closed loop that they can look out and see looks like a wasteland. Was was how Perry Wise described it. Um, and uh, if the bit that you're presenting that's supposed to be the best doesn't look good, then that's a really bad sign. Uh, back in the... Uh, North Korea still does this. We were discussing this before this episode. In North Korea, if you go to North Korea as a visitor right now, they do not let you wander around mm-hmm. freely. Very controlled tours. Yes, they show you exactly what they want you to see in a, in a pristine little area that is basically a movie set. Russia did the same thing way back when during the communist era, during the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And you got people, you get these professors who thought that Russia was the great revolution. It was revolution a great utopia. And, yeah. Really prosperous. And they went there and they saw exactly what they wanted them to see. But what's, what was funny is that some of them looking at the, the show that Russia put on saw problems that made them doubt. And if they had seen the real thing, because even the show wasn't as good as, as the stories had been saying. <laughs> and it's just, uh, we're, we seem to be getting some similar things here. Um, China, for all its power, and we've discussed China at length a little bit, um, at length a little bit, there's a phrase for you. This is, <laughs> this is why, this is why everything I say should be taken as a gospel truth. Um, I thought you were going to say, this is why you tune into Rethinking Politics. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> for this kind of Purist nonsense. stumble around with basic English. That is um, one of our trademarks. This, this is one of our trademarks. That Hashtag in pronunciation. Rethinking Politics. Hashtag Brett Weinstein. <laughs> with two E's. <laughs> Make it clear here. <laughs> um. And this isn't even the substance of what's happening in the Olympics right now that people are focused on. It's actually the cheating that's getting attention. Um, before we get into the cheating, though, I just want to mention that, that China's national pride, that, that is, you, is a country becomes more nationalist, it inevitably becomes more xenophobic. Right? You're, these, these things kind of pull at each other. If you're going to say, we're the greatest nation in the world, and we're the best, and we're better than everyone else, that, that has to diminish them in relation to mm-hmm. you. Um, and... It's really interesting to see how China is treating athletes who are of Chinese descent and could have competed for the U.S. or China, which is a weird legal gray area because China doesn't allow dual citizenship legally. 
or so I understand. Mm-hmm. And yet there are a number of dual citizens who chose well, There to are exceptions China. to almost every rule, so that makes sense. Especially in China, right? This is, well, it's true of anywhere. Usually it's often things are punished by a fine of some kind, and that means the rich can do it and other people can't. Um, this was true of like the two-child policy and other policies mm-hmm. in China from the beginning. Um, and they are trashing an athlete who is an American, essentially, who's competing for them, who failed. And they are praising an athlete who's an American, who is competing for them, who succeeded. And they're trashing an athlete who's essentially American and who is competing for us, who's succeeding. And it's a, there's a weird propagandistic element to it where, uh, and it's not, it's not the normal, like, in the West, if somebody does something great, you'll get an article about them being like, wow, they're really amazing. And you'll go on about it. In China, there are on, uh, what is it, Weibo or uh, the, there's the equivalent of Twitter over there that's different. You'll find tutorials on how to make your face look like this half Chinese girl. Um, do your makeup so that you can look uh, half Chinese instead of full Chinese so that you can mimic her beauty and and they're billboards with her face all over them, this, mm-hmm. this skier. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's this weird, it's so coordinated. When you look at Chinese media, it's a, well, it's a trip. Well, and it's, it's not that unusual, Dan. It's just something that we haven't seen in a long time. I mean, the Cold War has been over for, what, 30 plus years now, really. And so, and so most of us who are under 40 aren't used to that. But that mm-hmm. used to, I mean, this is not, if anything, this is the way the world works most of the time, where you have a country that has a tyrannical government, you have a country that has very restricted, you know, internet access, that has an incredibly propagandistic, you know, government-controlled media sources who use things like the Olympics. I mean, if you go back and you look at Russia during the Cold War and how they interacted with with the Olympics, it was a lot like this, where they would use the Olympics to help control their people, where they would even control their athletes when they went to other countries. You know, they had, had rules about what they could and couldn't do to make sure they didn't defect because of how terrible life was for people in Russia, like there were all these things in place that was all hidden behind this facade of everything being just fine. And most people would, wouldn't look past that facade because they didn't want to jeopardize diplomatic relations. I mean, we've talked about this before, about how the U.S. tends to kowtow to China, at least in words, in order to keep diplomatic relations with China good. I mean, that's why we refuse to acknowledge the fact that there are two Chinas, that you have Taiwan that also has a legitimate claim to being called a China, and yet we won't call them that. We won't officially acknowledge Taiwan while at the same time telling China we will defend Taiwan against them. You know what I mean? It's nonsense, but it's these ridiculous games that we play in the world of geopolitical relations, which are just so weird. And it, it ruins what the Olympics are. I mean, the Olympics are not about nations getting together. It's about people getting together. It's not about uh, which country's superior. It ought to be about who the best is. The, this is, this is, 
it ruins the element of athletic competition, which even that I phrase it like that, an element mm-hmm. of it is athletic competition. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's what most of us think is, should be the point. And it's entirely uh, overshadowed by these, by this, by politics, essentially. Politics can ruin everything. <laughs> <It turns laughs> out, you can ruin just about anything with politics. I mean, a good rivalry is fun in sports, but uh, but at this level, the po- political uh, posturing and all this other nonsense. Um, and it should be no surprise then to people that people cheat all the time in the Olympics. There are a number of confirmed scandals, uh, confirmed uh, you know events and things during the Cold War. Russia was cheating like crazy. Um, there are enough whistleblowers now to make that a, an established fact. They, and the government, the Russian government, was involved. Mm-hmm. They would their their intelligence agencies helped execute it. Um, they were helping dope up their athletes to make them uh, perform better, which is which is just. I mean, even thinking about it makes me like, like the world's a ridiculous place that this that this is how we feel we what we feel like we need to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. recently, the figure skater, the pride of Russia, uh, she's 15. I don't have her name in front of me. She uh, there was a big scandal because she apparently failed one of the preliminary drug tests. From over a month ago. And they just found out about it. And that story alone is enough to show you how seriously people take this, uh, take these competitions and how unseriously they take stopping people from cheating. <laughs> the details of it are crazy. So I'm going to read from an article. Um, this is just a, a Yahoo Sports article. That's uh, where I get all my news is Yahoo Sports. About the Russian anti-doping. Is, I don't know how many sports uh, publications could you name. Russian Anti-Doping Association's argument. ESPN. Since the lab. ESPN. You got one. I know Bleacher Report. Uh, Sorry. Russian Anti-Doping. <laughs> You're good. You might want to start over. I, I, really, I really messed you up there. So she she gets her she's already competed in the the group figure skating and Russia won. Mm-hmm. Won gold. She's going to now compete in in the singles and she's going to win gold. She's crazy good. She's crazy good. She should win gold. Probably. Right? There's an asterisk by this. Cuz yeah, you never know. Because because she's on stuff. Um so the Russian Anti-Doping Association argued that since the lab in Sweden didn't process the test for six and a half weeks, Velieva, there's no way I'm pronouncing that right. I pronounced it like it's a Spanish word. No, it sounds good. Like Valieva. <laughs> Valieva that sounds- doesn't have enough time to defend herself. Uh, but the WADA, which is the, the global one anti-doping agency, the world anti-doping agency, said the delay was because Russia didn't Label it a priority sample. So, so this is this is the cause, according to the WDA. Russia took one of their Olympic athletes, collected a sample, sent it to the proper lab in Sweden, didn't write priority on it, and that was 
all it took for it to take for her six to and a half weeks to get processed. Yes, and to have her compete in an Olympic event while on a performance enhancing well, drug. Well, and, and less about her being on the performance enhancing drug. She competed, she was, you know, basically almost the entire duration of the Olympics with no information about whether or not she had passed her drug test. You know what I mean? So Right, right. They, they, they just didn't know. Yeah. So, for example, you know, at my work, we, we do, you know, pre-hired drug screens. And, and they, they, they send them out to a lab. This is not a high-end lab. This is, you know, the, the cheapest place they can find, right? You know, you know one of the, the many labs that you have in every city in the United States. Send them out to this lab. And they do the drug test, and there's just no priority drug test. It's just a regular drug screen. You know, it's not, hey, we need next day turnaround. It's just their regular, their, 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 their single option, you know what I mean, for drug tests. And the lab sends the results back in two or three days. <clears throat> so that 95% of the time, unless they start really, really fast, by their first day of employment, they know this person has a, you know, a clean drug screen, which is how it's supposed to be done, right? So the question you have to ask is what kind of setup do you have where even the non-priority samples, because all these samples that are coming from the Olympics, you have to assume are from Olympic athletes. Unless they're testing the caterers, then <laughs> all of these samples should be priority. So why they're leaving it up to Russia yeah. to mark them doesn't make any sense. But even still, you've got six right. and a half weeks. Is this weeks just a random place that they – that? That are Russia getting all sorts of use. samples. It raises a lot of questions, it, doesn't it? Right. But but for it's sure, bizarre. it's not. This is not a system that's set up to actually stop drug use. You know, it'd be the equivalent if if my employer said, "Hey, you're responsible to get a drug test. Sign here on this paper saying you're going to do that, and then we'll follow up with you in a couple months and see if you did." You know what I mean? You can choose your own drug testing place. We don't really care. We ask that you do it quickly, though, but we're not going to follow up to see yeah. if you did. That's how a lot of paperwork is handled, and it's handled that way because nobody cares. Enough to do what's it a different it. way. Right, it, because it doesn't matter. Because it takes a lot more work to say, really hey, we're going to have a lab set up here that's controlled by the WADA instead of controlled by you or by Sweden or anyone else, we're going to have our own lab because they could do that. I mean, the number of tests that are going to be going through for the Olympics, we're talking thousands and thousands of tests. So having a small lab set up is probably actually cost effective. And then you can actually control and make sure, okay, we've confirmed, you know, we've got actual independent inspectors who work for the WADA to make sure it's all being done above board. You could do that. Choosing not to is just that. It's a choice. Yeah. And it's an astounding choice when the alternative is we're counting on your proper labeling. Like, like this is, this is, how did, how did they not know that they hadn't heard back on it? Right. That, like, there's so many places here where this is really, really weird. And ultimately, the answer doesn't really matter because what's weird to me is that they got caught in something so blatant because historically they're much better at cheating than this. <laughs> historically the, uh, they didn't get caught until there were whistleblowers and uh, you can go back and look at competitions like this. 
Um, the Olympics, uh, Russia in particular, we know a lot about. Um, they were doping up all of their athletes. They were giving them performance-enhancing drugs. And they had this grand scheme to avoid getting caught. And as far as they're concerned, they do that because they believe it's the norm. And there's good reason to think it is the norm, even in other places, even perhaps in the U.S. Lance Armstrong was caught cheating, a famous cyclist, right? He won a ton of medals. Um, there are a variety of allegations. One of the interesting points that I heard made by people talking about that was they, they argued, and perhaps rightly so, uh, that, that everyone Lance's medals should not have been taken from him because he was competing against other people who were doing the same thing. And this person, in partially in jest probably, uh, but who had, he did the documentary that exposed this whole thing. Um, and he was going to expose it by, by cheating. He actually became an athlete and, uh, and was going into uh, these things and was trying to cheat and was getting people's help. And anyway, stumbles upon people who wanted to talk about it more openly than he, his undercover work uh, led him to the right people who then were much more frank about it. But uh, the idea was that, that you had to go to this, this doctor speculated who was helping people cheat, that you'd have to get to like 70th place or higher before you could find athletes competing in those races who were not doped up. In which case, Lance Armstrong, I mean, a level playing field, if anything goes. He won fair and square. As long as everyone's right. doped up, then you're good. Then, then medals, consider those medals earned. Um, but, but obviously this isn't great, right? We don't want a world necessarily where people are, I'm not endorsing this. We don't want a world where the athletes have to decide whether to exchange their long-term health or even their short-term health for immediate performance no, gains. See, see, Dan, I would argue that, that what we're talking about and what we would be arguing is the exact opposite. What we're saying is that there isn't real testing right now. There isn't mm -hmm. a system that's mm -hmm. stopping people from from cheating especially by use of mm -hmm. drugs which is actually encouraging people to cheat and that in fact people like lance armstrong were would have been much less likely to cheat if he were the only one doing it you know what i mean that mm -hmm. that if there were a system in place that were stopping 99 percent of the people from cheating it would be a very different system yes yes because as it is you have to cheat to compete is is at least a justification mm -hmm. that you can mm -hmm. rightfully make in in some of these competitions. No, and it's and it's it's evident by the fact that these scandals keep popping up. I mean, steroid scandals in the U.S. happen mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, everyone knows that in professional athletics, people use drugs and use all sorts of things on a regular basis to try and game the system, and yet it keeps happening. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's testosterone in particular, and steroids that affect it are is really difficult because some people just have higher testosterone naturally, mm -hmm. right? This is something that varies. A lot of this stuff varies naturally in in one dimension or another, um, and so you could theoretically choose a level at which everyone must be. Mm -hmm. At or below. Yeah, yeah. And to some degree, there's talk of people doing that already with testosterone, especially with it in relation to gender, uh, the gender questions. But anyway, it's, it's, uh, 
We're not here to solve how uh, how the Olympics should stop people from cheating. We're here to say that the system is stupid <laughs> and, and that this the way it's working right now, people are cheating and they're getting away with it. She is still going to be allowed to compete in the solo competition and she's going to win and she probably deserves to win and she's probably competing against other people who are doing something similar. Yeah, and, and the argument and, they made is it's been six and a half weeks. We if she had had a a positive drug test that was faulty and we got it back two days later, she could have taken another test and said, hey, look, that was a faulty test. You know, I'm clean or whatever. And they can't mm -hmm. do that now because it's six and a half weeks yes, later. Yes, which is a legitimate argument. Yeah, something may have happened with it. And um, now to which the response is, cheating. oh, well, you didn't write priority on it. So now it's your fault. <laughs> And, and the whole thing is – but that's the point is the whole thing is so crooked that, that that argument could end up flying. It could end up working, you know, that she's not getting the same treatment as everyone else because everyone else's treatment is so lenient that they can cheat if they want to, whether or not they are. Yes, yes. And the idea – obviously, marking priority on it probably wasn't her fault. I, I would guess that she's not handling that kind well, of thing. Well, she's 15. She's probably not handling any of it. Anything, yes, not arranging anything. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Um, if you were to remove politics from the equation and you had athletes competing to see who was the best, I think it would be a very different environment, and I think it'd be a lot more fun. I I think it'd be a lot more fun. Um, I'm trying to think. You'd probably end up with teams anyway and things, but but I want to know who the best is, and I want to see you know I want to see high level competition. I don't want to see. Po political posturing. Mm -hmm. There's enough of that mm -hmm. in the world. And speaking of posturing, Russia and Ukraine. Let me begin with this by just saying where we were, and then Brad, maybe you can take us into this. We said earlier that this was posturing. And the news in that there was uh, suggested that there are it may not even be a substantial thing, you know, not even be, uh, that it may be nothing. And if it is something, it's posturing it was essentially what we'd indicated. It doesn't appear to be nothing. Unfortunately, that would have been the best solution that, <laughs> that people were just freaking out because Russia is doing troops and it's a distraction, right? It's a, it's, it's a news ploy. It's not a news ploy. Unfortunately, at least it doesn't appear to be anymore. In fact, you can go back three months and this has been building up for three months. I was shocked to find a record of it, of, of communications and uh, debate over Ukraine joining NATO and Russia claiming they were not going to let it fly and the U.S. saying we're going to retaliate if you don't and, and conversations between Putin and Biden that have been you know, discussed openly. And this, this seemed to come out of nowhere two weeks ago in terms of the focus of the news, mm -hmm. but it's... But this it's been, been but it's on a low months. simmer for a while. Yes, yes. Um, is it going to just be posturing? I think that's still the most likely thing, but we're going to discuss it. Yeah, and I, I think the argument that it's primarily posturing is is mostly true. I think posturing may not be the the perfect term, and in, in some ways, I'd say it's. It's it's a bit of a bluff. I mean, the history of of Russia is one we're all familiar with. I mean, the Cold War is 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 long gone in the United States, but it's not long gone in Russia. You know, Russia for for several decades 
controlled a large number of Eastern European nations. I mean, it was much more than just Russia. It was the Soviet bloc that had a lot of power and a lot of influence. And, and when the Soviet Union dissolved, Russia was left much weaker, and they've been much weaker ever since. You know what I mean? Russia has never been the player that the Soviet Union was. So that, that I think, is the first, the first background when it comes to the Russia-Ukraine involvement. Then you've got the fact that that you've got all of these these Eastern European countries that, after leaving Russia, end up joining NATO, which changes their relationship with Russia and gives them s- significant bargaining power because NATO gives them protection. So you've got these small countries like Estonia and Latvia that are peanuts compared to Russia. <laughs> you know what I mean? In terms of their military yeah, force, yeah. their economic influence, when, if they come to negotiate with Russia, they don't have a lot of power. But because they join NATO, they do have power. They do have the ability to say, we stand on our own two feet and Russia, you can't intimidate us. You can't threaten to invade us in order to secure more favorable trade deals. Versus the Ukraine, where Russia can say that. And Russia has said that. You know, there was the 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 Crimean conflict or the you know, the, the Russian-Ukrainian, you know, war, whatever you'd want to call it, in 2014 that broke out between Russia and Ukraine because of these kinds of disagreements and resulted in actual land battles and territory changing. You know, Russia gained control of Crimea and also small portions of the Ukraine, which had, you know, an impact on the Ukraine. And then, of course, you know, the U.S. and other NATO allies then sanctioned Russia, which had severe economic impact on Russia. And there's all this this history that goes into it. And, so, and, and that conflict was never really resolved peacefully. You know what I mean? Russia still holds Crimea, or at least portions of it. You know, Russia is still hostile towards Ukraine. Ukraine's still hostile towards Russia. And then Ukraine wants to join NATO, and that's how this new conflict begins again, is that Ukraine is once again making an effort to join NATO. And 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 me and Dan were joking about it before, because it's basically what Russia is saying is, don't join NATO or we're going to invade you. And it's like, okay, well, what happens if I join NATO? Well, it stops us from being able to invade you. And it's like, well, then why do you want us to not join NATO it's because you want to invade us? Is there any other good reason for why we shouldn't join NATO? But I don't think it's because Russia wants to invade Ukraine. I think it's because Russia wants to use the fact that they can invade Ukraine as a threat to keep Ukraine under their control to some degree. And and that's something that we see time and time again, is that Russia likes being the bully. It likes using their influence to control what Ukraine does. And by the way, I don't want to pick on Russia too much. This is how large, powerful countries exert their influence. It's not always invasion, but they use economic sanctions. They use trade negotiations and agreements to bully smaller countries into doing what they want. Russia is just much more blatant about it and much less subtle and not politically correct in the way that they do it. They haven't... (laughs) They haven't realized and accepted the fact that most modern countries now, especially European countries, are not okay with 
the threat of invasion in order to secure more favorable trade agreements. They're not okay with that kind of behavior, but Russia still wants to play the game that way. And so Russia right now is posturing to some degree in that their goal here is using the threat of violence to stop Ukraine from joining NATO. I mean, it's that simple in order to keep Ukraine under their control. That's what I think is happening. I don't think they actually want to invade Ukraine. I don't think they're planning on invading Ukraine. And I think it's going to work. I think Ukraine won't join NATO. Um, they won't say they're never going to join NATO, but they're going to postpone. You know what I mean? And that is going to be good enough for Russia. That's my whole yes. prediction in a nutshell. I, and that makes a lot of sense because we were initially my thought was uh, is you were is we discussed it before we thought we were trying to look for the the motivation you know what does Russia get out of this um, if they invade and, and to understand what Russia would get out of this and what's it what's at stake here you got to understand what would happen if they invaded um, there's an idea that if they invaded the U S would go and fight them and that's not true. That's not what would happen. Um, if you look at uh, Biden has said as much that that's not what's going to happen. Uh, and we're not talking about the gaffe, by the way, when he said, you know, if it's a small incursion, we'll have to fight about <laughs> it. We're talking about other instances where he's made clear that there would be severe consequences. But he uses the word consequences because he's talking about something beyond troops. He's talking about yes. economic sanctions, which are severe consequences, but it's very different from the U.S. sending in troops to Ukraine. Yes. He, he said, uh, this is speaking of a call that he had with Putin. He said, I made it very clear, this is quote, quote, I made it very clear, if in fact he invades Ukraine, there will be severe consequences. But the idea the United States is going to unilaterally use force to confront Russia from invading Ukraine is not in the cards right now. Close quote. This is from the New York Post reported this. And it makes sense because if if we were going to send in troops to defend Ukraine, then the most logical thing would be to send in troops now in order yes. to stop Russia from invading. Is is we send in 40,000 troops along the border and next thing you know, Russia doesn't want to invade because now they realize invading will will – it's not even a question of if but will – cause us to get involved because once troops are there it's it's clear cut you know you look at us are involved you mm -hmm. look at the nato the nato members in fact let me share my screen real quick because you look at the nato members that are all near the ukraine and guess what they have nato and us troops in their countries you know estonia latvia lithuania poland romania bulgaria these countries and there's a wall yeah these countries all have very small amounts of NATO troops, which are the numbers in red, and U.S. troops, the numbers in, is that purple or blue? Either way. And the point is, yes, you know, 500 U.S. troops in Lithuania are not going to stop any Russian invasion. But the point is, yeah. as long as those 500 troops are there, Russia cannot conquer Lithuania without having to declare war on the United States. And it's that simple of a system. And that's how the NATO system works. By putting those small amount of troops there, they say this is a NATO-protected country and a U.S.-protected country. And the only way you can conquer this country is by fighting NATO. And you mess with one bean, you mess with the whole burrito. Yeah, exactly. And it's actually a relatively simple system. And it's an effective system. 
And that's the system that Russia does not want with the Ukraine. Because as soon as those troops are there, Russia can no longer threaten Ukraine with invasion. It can no longer eke out small amounts of territory like it did with Crimea. It changes their relationship with Ukraine. Because they don't have the same relationship with Ukraine that they have with Estonia. And the reason is because of Estonia's membership in NATO. Yes, it. One of the there's there's a parallel to this that we sometimes talk about in foreign policy, and it's if you have nuclear power, if you have nuclear weapons, there is a massive rush to get nuclear weapons, because as soon as you have nuclear weapons, your international relationships change, mm -hmm. and they they and it's yeah, entirely you, you in your favor. You get a huge amount of respect all of a sudden. Yes, all of a sudden, your trade deals and your negotiations are much stronger. Mm -hmm. And it's because you're not military, you're not as militarily dependent on others. Uh, you can, you are now a legitimate threat. And even in a world where we're not all at war all the time, mm -hmm. that still matters. Absolutely. That's still an, a critical part of the negotiation. The fact that Russia can say, and by the way, I can beat you up and take your lunch money mm -hmm. if I wanted to, is, is an important part of how their negotiations go down. And there's been a serious breakdown in those as, you might imagine with the Crimea stuff, um, but it's it would shift even further should they become independent in the in a military sense. And Russia, do, the Russia doesn't want that. Makes a lot of sense. It it changes the relationship between them. And it raises Ukraine and lowers their their negotiating power. Um, it also may provide it, staging areas for. U.S. troops and things closer to Russia. And it's worth noting that Ukraine and Russia do currently are trading partners. I mean, partner is a weird word, but they have trade. They have established trade between those two countries that benefits both countries. So the trade issue is a real one that mm -hmm. Russia currently has economic benefits from their trade agreements with Ukraine. And so if Ukraine changes those trade agreements, it costs Russia, theoretically. Yes, yes, it's interesting. Uh, reading the history between them, uh, another thing, joining NATO is one thing that has upset Russia. Joining the EU's free trade areas another also upset Russia, set off things, yes, because it because made it them less Russia. dependent. Yeah, I was speaking in the wrong tense. Yeah, it's again. not something that could hurt Russia. They did hurt Russia. Yes, yes, they did hurt Russia when they joined that because they now have other options, right? As soon as you've got... Uh, uh, if I can go to several different stores, the negotiating power of that store, of one particular store, is yeah, less. Right? They can't – their prices, they have to compete with the others now for my attention. It, it's, yeah, simple supply and demand. Uh, all of this, though, there's still some questions. I, I'm stating this as if I'm 100% confident in the, these things. I think what we've proposed here makes a lot of sense. It's still really weird. It, because it puts it puts this these maneuvers as a kind of uh, I'm trying to remember who I heard phrase it this way a massive game of chicken yeah <laughs> where Russia's like I think you're gonna swerve first well and, and it <laughs> makes sense it makes sense that Russia would say because there's evidence of it we're happier going to war than you are you know what I mean that we're less afraid of a violent and bloody conflict that's totally pointless than you are. And in some senses, that's true. You know what I mean? That Ukraine mm -hmm. doesn't want a bloody war within its own borders, even if it comes out to mostly nothing. Like the, the Crimean War, not the Crimean War from 
a long, long time ago. But the Crimean, the Crimean conflict, the recent one in 2014, was bad for Russia, but it was also very bad for Ukraine. And those mm-hmm. have very real costs. Enough costs that Ukraine might say, yeah, I'm okay waiting to join NATO in order to avoid this current conflict. Yes. Yeah. That, that's an interesting thought. It, it's, it's interesting. If Russia invaded and they, they brought upon themselves the sanctions that would follow there, that would be, that'd be really, really rough. Um, and it does matter if people don't buy Russian oil and they've got, they've got a crazy amount of natural resources, but they depend on those resources mm-hmm. because their economic productivity is not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they need trade with other nations. that widespread corruption and nationalization of industries is not a good combination. I mean, to be for- fair, most nations rely on trade. I mean, even like the United States, yes. who produces a ton yes. of natural resources too, we rely if you heavily cut trade, on trade. We would be, yeah, we would be, we would it would be, be really huge economic consequences. No, you're absolutely right. That's a great point. It would point. make the because 2000, the you know, 2008, 2009 recession look like nothing if we cut off economic yeah. trade. If we were sanctioned by the rest of the world, oh my goodness, it'd be devastating. Oh yeah, it'd be it'd be wor- it'd be the worst thing that's ever happened to our economy ever. It'd be way worse than the Great Depression. You'd have you'd have to ration everything, and it it would be it would be disastrous. You're you're absolutely right. That's a great point. There is no. It's not necessarily a sign of economic weakness that trade embargoes and that sanctions devastate you. That's, that's more the, the reality of supply chains mm-hmm. at this point in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, you can rearrange those and you could become independent again. And some countries do that better than others, but it would be devastating for every country. And, and we have talked about sanctions before and about how sometimes they're not real sanctions. <laughs> they're, they're as much posturing as, as true anyth- movements on as the border. As anything else, but there is a history of sanctioning Russia in the past, like after the Crimea conflict, mm-hmm. that were real sanctions. It's not like we they were completely cut off from trade, but it did have an economic cost that hurt them. Yes, yes, and yeah, yeah. It's interesting how who will support them in those those occasions. They it's at that point that you really need allies who you can still trade with, and. uh Preferably people on your border that you can use their airspace and things at least to transport goods. Um, it's interesting. I keep looking at, uh, if there were to be a massive, I mean, if, the, if it would be a real tragedy if, if Russia took Ukraine, um, extending their reach over more people is not something that anyone, uh, wants good things for people should want for anybody. But, China and Russia, it, it could be much worse. I keep thinking of, of in, in what world could Russia gain more than that? In some ways, I think, I think the era of world domination, you know, of the, of the Germans trying to control everything, of, of people trying to not just grab a little bit from the lands around them, but really conquer the world, you know, the, World War II level of dominion. Well, and I think you can make a very real argument for the fact that it was the Manhattan Project, not World War II, that signaled a change in world wars. Because because there is that mm-hmm. fact that when Biden is talking to the, you know, the diplomatic team from Russia and, and they're and, and and they've got all these negotiations going on, underlying all of this is an understanding that we have nukes and Russia has nukes and that we do not want 
to put yes. either nation in a position where they feel like they have no options. Because as soon as you have a nation that has nuclear weapons, that has no options, then they might use them. I mean, there's a reason we don't do anything to North Korea, because it's not worth it. Because it's not worth it. North Korea and the Western world has an understanding. North Korea can be as awful as it wants to its own people as long as they don't attack South Korea. Because if they, if, they, if they nuke South Korea, then they, over they would be over yeah. for North Korea. But as long as they don't do that, they can basically do whatever they want because they have nukes. And it's that kind of understanding that goes into all of these these negotiations and it's it's very true here that the u.s wants to be very careful because they don't want to have open war with russia because they don't want it to lead to nuclear war and so they're going to they're going to compromise they're going to to blink in the face of that threat and say okay we're, we can agree you know you know ukraine won't be a part of nato for now in order to avoid the chance for a major conflict which is in some ways kind of good because it does stop World War III from breaking out because everyone knows that World War III would most likely end terrible. in some yeah. kind of nuclear war. And that's not something anyone wants. And we're all rational people here. People argue that Russia's not. But when you actually break it down, what Russia is doing, yeah, it may be a game of chicken, but it's very calculated and actually makes some kind yeah. of sense. Yeah, it's the same game of chicken that bullies tend to play in negotiations. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, I, I, the way you phrased it earlier was, I think, really good. The idea that uh, you're more afraid of pain than I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if we if we fight, I'm I'm very comfortable in that arena. I'm I'm okay with that. This this idea that the 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 bully is comfortable in the violence. Of course, when you actually push back, that may or may not be the case. Mm -hmm. But that's at least the the impression that people get, and that's the that's the intimidation factor. No, and I and I think. I think there there's an argument to be made for pushing back for for the US going to Ukraine and being like this is ridiculous this this game that's been played for the past 20 years is a bluff so what we think you should do is join NATO and join it now because then it's cuz it's cuz once and it's one of the weird things in the situation is once Ukraine joins NATO it's over. Russia's lost, and they're right, not going to invade Ukraine. <laughs> the only time they can invade Ukraine is if Ukraine's thinking about joining NATO. Because once they join NATO, it's over. And When we were looking into this, I kept looking at, what does it take to join NATO? Because can't this just be like a... It used to be like, oh, I want to be a part of NATO. And you're like, you want to fight communists? Come join us. Like, <laughs> you're in. <laughs> but now there's a... There's requirements and applications and an agreement must be made and plans must be drawn up and bureaucracy must happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's it would I don't I'm I was not able to determine a clear process in part because it seems to be indiv individually negotiated and there are certain standards they must meet that I assume Ukraine could meet if other European countries can meet it. But but it's uh but it's weird there, mm -hmm. right? Because it seems like it seems like you could wake up in the morning and be like Sorry, Russia, we did it, <laughs> and that and that would be over. And, and the whole conflict would end. The just troops like that. are on the way, and if you're here when they get here, well, and you're even in if the troops aren't there yet, once they've once yes. they're officially part of NATO, it would be over. Yeah, there's an obligation mm -hmm. there. Yeah, it's strange. So somewhere in this, in <laughs> I love the idea that the real villain here is bureaucracy. 
<laughs> um, it's not you think Russia is bad. You should see the bureaucracy you have to get well, through to and, join NATO. Well, and, and part of it's that, but part of it is the fact that U.S. doesn't care about Ukraine. You know what I mean? That that the Crimean conflict in 2014 didn't hurt the United States. It hurt Ukraine a heck of a lot, but it didn't hurt the yeah. United States. That that the United States isn't invested enough in Ukraine prospering, and that's part of it. You know what I mean? And and uh, not to be not to be di- dismissive of of Ukraine's com- you know crisis because it is real and it is there, but it's not a U.S. crisis. You know what I mean? Yes, and that yeah, needs to be factored yeah. in that that when the president of the United States is looking at this conflict, his goal is not what's best for Ukraine. His goal is what's best for the United States. And so mm-hmm. and so settling right now is eh for Ukraine. It's good for Russia, and it's not bad at all for the United States because you avoid conflict. Right. Which is why from the beginning I was, I'd be shocked and still would be shocked if there was actual military engagement. Of any significant sort. Yeah. Because it, it, the only, it's just so mutually destructive. It doesn't really benefit anybody. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it it would, yeah, just extremely unlikely. Um, Now the U S should, or, the powers that be should act like it might be mm-hmm. a legitimate threat. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't just put your head down. But, but the idea that it's, that it's uh, going to lead to conflict, I think, is extremely unlikely and always has been, regardless of how many troops are there. But it's, it's definitely a weird situation. And it's because it's one of those things where I bet there were probably a couple of opportunities in the past where the Ukraine could have joined NATO and the opportunity was just there missed. There must have been, right? And yeah, I keep – well, they keep – they go through presidents. Mm-hmm. If you look into the history of this a little bit, they their, their various presidents have had different takes on, on what to do about it. The people have been pretty clear, I think, and consistent in wanting to join NATO and distance themselves from Russia. Even though a lot of them are of Russian descent, they don't want Russia controlling mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. The exception being the people in Crimea generally who – which or is at why least some people in thing, Crimea. Yeah, I, I yes, don't know again, what the actual numbers gray. are. Yeah, it, the uh, for those of you not familiar with that, that little part of of the justification was that they had declared themselves a sovereign nation. They yeah, were there were these, these separatists Ukraine. in Crimea who were pushing back against Ukraine, and so Russia's yeah. arguing we're just freeing these people. You know. Yes, and they had been, and these separatists had had, uh, you know, they had their own parliament and things, and. That was under Ukraine, and so Ukraine had given them some independence. It seemed to be almost like a like a Scotland situation or in, Ireland. In uh, yes, yeah, where they're part of the country, but they've got some level of independence, and because they're recognized as distinct. And anyway, it, Russia annexed them. Is their their words? <laughs> a free nation chose to join another free nation. Um, it's weird. And it's weird. Somehow, other parts of Ukraine came with it that we're not touching. <laughs> if you look at the map and what they acquired, but anyway, it, it's complicated, and it's you're right that it's not America's uh, it's not America's problem per se. Russia isn't going to take over Ukraine and then from there leverage that. Yeah, it's not the Cold the War anymore. We're not concerned about you know, hey, we've got this this western tip of Ukraine where if they staged their 
you know, their their missile silos there. It could get them that much closer to, you know, our bases here, and that could, you know, you know, blah blah blah. Yeah, to the European that countries. Used to be the game. I mean, that was the mm-hmm. Cuban Missile Crisis. Was okay. Well, what if they stage their missiles here? They're that much closer. Well, what about this and what about that? And that's why we need to take. You know, it was all just this big battle that was being played game out through risk. other nations, but it's no longer that way. The U.S. is not trying to stop Russia from taking over the world. The U.S. is really just trying to stop a major conflict from breaking out because that would be bad for the U.S. politically. You know what I mean? If Russia and Ukraine fight, even if we don't get involved, it looks bad for the White House. It does. And so so really Biden's main goal is just to stop conflict from breaking out. Whatever Ukraine has to concede – He's fine with that. I mean, that's that's it's crass and it's cynical, but this is this is how politics is played on on the big stages. It's not there's not a lot of nobility in these negotiations. There really isn't. Yes, it would be a, it would somehow be a Republican victory for there to be a serious conflict because it would suggest incompetence in Biden, and that would you know again again government U.S. government power is at stake in how this looks and how it mm-hmm. plays out. And as such, the actors within those are going to uh, try and control the story and make the other side look, make Biden look unfavorable through this, through these events. And it's, uh, that's why uh, when we were talking about how this event could be a show uh, a week or two ago, when we were discussing this, um, there, there are occasions like this where everybody goes home happy because everyone has looked good in front of their own people. Mm-hmm. We, we, when we're thinking international, we tend to forget that they also need to keep the people inside their countries happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe Putin has factions within that he uh, is a leader of yeah, yeah. that need this kind of show of strength mm-hmm. occasionally, right? Mm-hmm. That we, we assume that this is like a rational actor, a single rational actor with a plan, whereas it may be a rational actor <laughs> – navigating his own political factions within the country mm-hmm. to try and appease them all and in the same way that Biden is going to try and handle this in a way that does that and Ukrainian presidents are going to try and handle this in a way that does that and the you know, there's there's internal factors that determine a lot of these bigger decisions that uh that we don't have an inside scoop of like we do in the United States mm-hmm. and in the internal politics of Moscow and of Whatever the capital of Ukraine is. Kiev, I think. I was going to say Kiev, but. If it's not, then why don't we know its name? You know, why do we know Kiev and not them? (laughs) What is Kiev if it's not Kiev? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we could Google it. That's what we'll be doing for the next week. (laughs) We're going to have an episode that's just, what is the capital of Ukraine? (laughs) What is. (laughs) Here you go. Tune in next Maybe week. Maybe next week we're going to do a history of Belarus and figure out why Belarus is not part of NATO. Because we got the Ukraine yes. and we got Belarus this over is... here, not part of NATO. And I'm and I'm looking at it and I look at the history of Ukraine and okay, and under and, you know, there's some history here. What's up with Belarus? Why didn't they join NATO? So, yes. so tune in. Are they under Russia's thumb tune too? In, What's maybe happening never here? to find out. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thanks for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com 
where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.